As you watch this teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see this message. Welcome to Home Group. It's Monday night. We're starting a brand new week. My name is Rick Renner, and I want to say welcome. Thank you for letting me and us come right into your space. And tonight, we're beginning a brand new series. We're going to do it all week, this week, and next week. We're really going to put a lot into us. Don't miss one of these. This week and next week, we begin on location in Ephesus. Ephesus is just magnificent. The Celsus Library, it's magnificent. You may have seen pictures of it, or you may have seen it in the program, but it's one of the best preserved facades in Ephesus. And uh, it's, be it's beautiful. It's, it's magnificent. Well, there were three big libraries in the ancient world. The first was in Alexandria. Mm -hmm. Alexandria had more than 700,000 scrolls. It was massive. Then there was the library in Ephesus. That was the second largest library in the world. The third largest library was in Pergamum. Those were the three big libraries in the world. But Ephesus was noted as a center of learning. In fact, it was called the Light of Asia. There was so much education. There was so much learning in the city of Ephesus. And when the Apostle Paul first came to Ephesus, he set up shop in the synagogue. And we're told in the book of Acts that he was in the synagogue for three months. Now, where is the synagogue in Ephesus? Well, you won't believe it. The Celsus Library hadn't been built yet. And the synagogue was where the Celsus Library is today. Isn't that amazing? And it was not a physical synagogue. There was a rule that you could have an open-air synagogue. All you had to have was 10 Jews who assembled together. And that became an open-air synagogue. Well, the Jews congregated there in an open-air synagogue in what was called Philosopher's Square. To one side, there was a big double arch that went out onto the Agora, which was the central marketplace. Right near there was the Marble Street where there was a huge temple built by Nero where he honored his mother, Agrippina. There was a brothel there. Oh, there was so much there. Houses, the terrace houses. It was magnificent. And the Jews congregated there. There wasn't a library there yet. And next to the Philosopher's Square, there was a school which was called the School of Tyrannus. Well, the School of Tyrannus belonged to a man named Tyrannus. Tyrannus. He was a pagan. That is absolutely amazing to me because it means Paul made friends with pagans. You know, sometimes Christians think they can only have Christian friends. Paul made friends with all kinds of people. Tyrannus was a pagan. And you know, Paul had so many friends in so many places that when you come to Acts chapter 20 and he wanted to go into the theater to defend his friends, Alexander and Gaius, who had been taken and they were being beaten and abused, and Paul wanted to go into the theater. The Bible tells us the Asiarch in Ephesus stopped him. Who do you think the Asiarch is? That would mean the governor? Nope, not the governor. It's bigger than that. Bigger than the governor? There were only 10 Asiarchs in all of Asia. And Asiarch was the man who was chosen by the Roman emperor to be the official representative of the pagan cult of the emperor in Asia. There were only 10 of them. They don't come more pagan or occultic than this. Paul even was respected and had fellowship or a friendship with the Asiarch of Asia. And it was this pagan man that really stopped Paul 
and cop stopped Paul probably from he would have been killed. So Paul had all kinds of friends. And one of his friends was Tyrannus. So Tyrannus obviously said, you want to use my place? Well, it was a school. Schools happened in the early part of the day and they occurred in the latter part of the day. Just like in hot parts of the world today, what do people do in the middle of the afternoon when it's really hot? Siesta. They take a siesta. Well, in the ancient world, they had a siesta in the middle of the day. So shops opened very early. They worked in the evening. And the middle part of the day, everybody went to bed. They went to sleep because it was hot. Well, when they were having their siesta and the school was vacated, Paul began to use the school. Every single day he taught for two years. Taught, 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 right at the edge of Philosopher's Square. And by the way, I'll tell you one other thing too. The Bible says that they took from Paul's body aprons and handkerchiefs. Some people say that those were leather workers, aprons, and manual workers. No, 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 no. No person dressed like a leather worker would have been in Philosopher's Square. This was the highest level, the most sophisticated, the most cultured, the richest people of the city. If Paul had come in there all grungy, it would have been completely inappropriate. So when you come to that verse and it talks about aprons and handkerchiefs, it means Paul made sure he was appropriate for the people that he was speaking to. Those words, aprons and handkerchiefs, really describe very beautiful garments describes the headrest they wore around their head, the beautiful garments they wore around their body. Paul came into that place looking like a serious philosopher or teacher. It was appropriate for where he was ministering. I think that's important because we need to be appropriate for who we're ministering to. Amen. I'm really ashamed sometimes of how people dress when they're representing the gospel. It's a shame. We need to remember we're representing the King of Kings. We're representing the King of Kings. We need to be gospel appropriate. That's something for you to think about. Appropriate for where we're ministering and appropriate for who we're representing. Absolutely. You need to know how to represent yourself for every group. But anyway, Paul would go up into Philosopher's Square, up into the school of Tyrannus, and he would teach there every day. And Paul began to lay out the doctrines of the New Testament so thoroughly until Acts chapter 19 says all of Asia heard about the name of Jesus, and Jesus was glorified. Anyway, all of that is just a lead-in to our program today. Was that interesting? Yes. Okay, we're offering you the download called Foundations of Faith, What You Need to Know to Become a Mature Believer. Do you want to be a mature believer? Well, there's some things you have to know before you can be called mature. This is 70 pages. 70 just before we started tonight, Denise, I flipped through these pages. It is loaded. Ay, yay, yay. What a gift, and it's free. All you have to do is go to render.org, and it's yours. Just download it. And we're offering the whole series that goes with it. It's 10 parts. This is like a Bible school. It really is like a Bible school. It'll encourage you. might even shake you up a little bit. We deal with everything. And we're also offering you my book right now called Promotion, 10 Guidelines to help you achieve your long-awaited promotion. But tonight I want us to go to Hebrews. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. All right, there's a reason that I've been telling you all this. Paul was teaching foundational things to people who came to the school of Tyrannus. Well, when you come to Hebrews 
chapter 6, we read something very important. By the way, just for reviewing to make sure that my two students here know, who wrote the book of Hebrews? Paul. We do not know. We do not know. Denise, who are the options? Uh, Luke, Priscilla, Apollos, Paul. Barnabas. And Barnabas. I think it's more likely that it was written by Priscilla or by Apollos. Paul always signed his names to his letters. Yes, it's obvious. He, at the beginning, he greets, and at the end, he signs. But he didn't do that when, he, when the book of Hebrews was written. Some people say Priscilla wrote it, and that's why she didn't put her name, because it would have put off some men. It's very possible it was written by Apollos because he was such a brilliant theologian from the school of Alexandria, which was the best Jewish school of all. He was amazing. He could have written the book of Hebrews. But whoever wrote it said this in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of the doctrine of baptisms, plural, and of laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And here we have six foundational doctrines. These are the rudimentary doctrines of the Christian faith. So I need to ask you, could you pass a doctrine test on the question of repentance from dead works? Or could you pass the doctrine test of what faith toward God means? You think you know what that means? Are you sure? Could you pass a doctrine test about the doctrine of baptisms, plural? There's not one baptism. There's not two. There's three. Could you pass the test on that? Or how about the doctrine of the laying on of hands? I think that's amazing because somebody would say, man, all these heavy-duty things and right in the middle of it, the laying on of hands, why is the laying on of hands in the middle of all these doctrines? Well, don't you know? Don't you know? Couldn't you pass a test on that? Or how about the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead? There are multiple resurrections. Could you pass a test on that? Or how about eternal judgment? Do you really know what the Bible says about judgment? There are two judgments. Could you pass a test on that? Well, you ought to know all of these. And that's why the verse says, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. God's will is that we be so established in these things that then we could go on to higher things. But guess what? The word perfection that is used here is a Greek word which describes a student who graduates from one level up into the next class, which means we all start in kindergarten and first grade and we're not supposed to stay there for the rest of our life. These are the elementary principles. These are the starting points. And once we know these, then we have the foundation we need to advance to higher levels. But now let me give you an illustration. What would you think if you walked into a first grade classroom and there were all those little students sitting at their little desks and among them was a 60-year-old man, big man, with his legs crammed under his desk, forcing his way under that little desk, and he was sitting there in the room in the middle of all those other students. That'd be a little odd, wouldn't it? You know, at first you might think, bless his heart. He obviously didn't get any education, and he is so humble and wanting to learn, he's willing to begin in first grade. But what if you found out he had been sitting at that desk since he was five years old? He never graduated. 
And then you found out there was nothing wrong with him mentally. He just never studied. He never applied himself. So for 55 years, he has just sat at the same desk year after year after year after year after year. All of his buddies, they've graduated, they've gone on, and he is still sitting at the little desk in first grade. That is exactly the situation with many people in the church today. They have been in the church years and years and years and years and years and years and years, and they're stuck in first grade. They don't even know the bare essentials. But here's the problem. They're trying to make monumental deep decisions, but they don't have the foundation to make those decisions. It's like trying to be a whiz at trigonometry when you've never even learned how to add and subtract. You've got to start with adding and subtracting and multiplication. You can't do trigonometry and algebra and all those other things until first you've been established in the basics. And I am just amazed, even in the ministry, the people that I see that make profoundly stupid mistakes with doctrine. I can't even believe some of the things they teach. Their desire is right. Their call is right. Don't question any of that. But somehow they missed first grade. They missed all the first years. Now let me give you another example. In the city of Nyonprepetrovsk, Ukraine. It's no longer called that. Now it's called the city of Dnieper. It's had three names. First of all, it was called Ekaterinslav. It was established by Catherine the Great. It means the glory of Catherine the Great. Then it was called Nyonprepetrovsk. And today they've changed the name to Dnieper because it is on the Dnieper River. But right along the banks of the Dnieper River in the city of modern-day Dnieper, there is a very, very tall building that has never been used. They just use it for advertisements. They paint huge advertisements on the side of it. You say, why hasn't it ever been used? Because the builders got in such a hurry that they didn't lay a correct foundation. And the building began tilting. And now there is a monstrosity, this massive building that can't be used for anything except big posters because the foundation was not laid correctly. They just kept building and building and building and building and the thing started tilting. They can't even use it. There's a lot of people like that. They want to get ahead before they've established their spiritual foundation and things become lopsided. They begin to make moral decisions that are wrong. They come to spiritual decisions that are wrong and they begin leaning because they don't have a foundation on which to stand and on which to make a decision. Okay, I'm going to give you another example. The Leaning Tower of Pisa. That's an amazing place, isn't it, Denise? <laughs> yes, it is. You look at the Leaning Tower of Pisa, you think, wow, that, that is amazing. Why does it lean? Because that area had previously been a swamp, and the people who built it did not give the building a correct foundation. And it began to lean. And rather than stop and fix the foundation, can you imagine this? It kept leaning like this, so they started building it back the other direction to try to make it go back up, and it just, it's crazy. You can't correct it. It's lopsided because it has a messed up foundation. Well, when you come to Hebrews chapter 5, you find the writer of Hebrews was writing to believers 
who should be very, very advanced, but they weren't. They may have thought that they were, but they weren't. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. But notice it says you ought to be teachers. The word ought is a Greek word, a fellow, which here describes an obligation, something that should have already been achieved or should have already been accomplished, a moral duty. The word teachers is the Greek word didaskaloi, which is the plural form of the word didaskalos. It describes a masterful, masterful teacher. And it was the same Greek word used among Jews to describe rabbis. Well, rabbis were amazing, masterful teachers. So you could really translate it like this. You have heard a lot. You have seen a lot. And by now, you should have achieved so much. In fact, you are obligated by now to know these subjects like a rabbi. You ought to be an expert teacher by this time with all you've seen and all you've heard. You're obligated by now to even be able to teach others, but you're not able to do it. They were failing the test. They had tried to advance too quickly and they had missed the important foundational things. But then it goes on and says, you have need that one teach you. Again, the word need, the Greek word krea, the word krea identifies a deficit. They have some kind of a deficit in their understanding. Something's missing. They've skipped first grade and they've tried to go on and now they're making all kinds of mistakes. He says, you have need what one teach you the first principles of the oracles of God. The word first, guys, is the word our case. The word our case, in this case, describes something in the beginning or something elementary. And the word principles, the Greek word stoikeion, denotes basic elements, fundamentals, foundational or rudimentary knowledge that is essential before you can be promoted to the next grade. Well, these people have been serving God for years and years and years and years and years, and they're making all kinds of mistakes. And the writer of Hebrews says, I know what's wrong with you. You skipped first grade. You skipped first grade. And here you're trying to be profound. You're trying to be deep. You're going to make mistakes. Guys, you skipped first grade. You have need to go back to school again. You need to go back to the first grade. You need to get it right. And by the way, I want to say something else. I'm not against pastors. I'm not against preachers. I am one. We are pastors and preachers. But a lot of people really are called into the ministry and they're mightily anointed. And they think because they're gifted, they don't need education. And there are scores and scores of pastors that have never been to school. They've never been educated in Bible truth. They've operated on their gift. And they are amazing. Oh my goodness, they are amazing that that's why many of them preach inspirationally, motivationally, and they don't teach the Bible verse by verse. They can't do it because they don't know it. They can preach about David and Goliath. They can preach about Samson. They can preach about Daniel and the lions. And they can absolutely stir you up and fill you with faith and get you excited. But if they try to teach verse by verse, they cannot do it because even they really never finished first grade. You know, I've been studying the Bible my whole life. I'm telling you, there is so much to know that I don't know. 
We need to really give ourselves to the Word of God. We need to be established in truth, especially if we're going to help other people. That's not a criticism of pastors or preachers. It's just an acknowledgement that there's a deficit of real verse-by-verse teaching in the church today. There's really a vacancy of it. We need it. But this verse says, You have need that someone teach you the first principles of the oracles of God, and you've become such as have need of milk, and not strong meat, the word teach, is the word didasko. And guess what it describes? A systematic form of teaching. That means we need systematic teaching. And you just got to use your brain. That's why most people don't want to do it. It requires discipline. It says, as a result, you have need of milk, which is the Greek word gala. It's the word that describes food given to infants. It is baby food. He says, you guys are still on baby food. You're not capable of consuming really strong meat. The word strong meat, streus, trophase, signifies solid food or food that is required for the maintenance of a healthy adult. He said, you guys are not able to eat solid food. You're, You're not ready for that. You need to go back to the beginning. You are in a condition to eat baby food. This is not condemning. This is helping us determine our real spiritual status. It's helpful. Then in verse 13, he says, For everyone that uses milk, there you have it again, the word gallop, baby food, is unskillful. The word unskillful, the Greek word apereos, which means is untested, undeveloped, unskilled, inexperienced, or has insufficient knowledge that leads to failure due to ignorance. If you don't have the right information, you're going to make wrong decisions, you're going to mess up. That's what it's saying. Here is how important good doctrine is in our life. Without it, you're going to mess up. Wow. Then he goes on and he says he's a babe. The word babe, the Greek word nepios, which describes an infant or an uneducated, unenlightened child. It's not necessarily just a baby, but a child that has had no education. Well, that's sad. Every child needs education. Every believer needs education. Every believer needs education. Then it goes on in verse 14 and says, Strong meat, that is adult food, belongs to them that are of full age. Full age depicts a mature adult with adult responsibilities. He has graduated from baby food to solid food, and he describes them even as those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. The word exercise is a form of the Greek word gumnazo, the word gumnazo is the Greek word which describes an athlete in a gymnasium who has shed all of his clothes, he's thrown everything off, he is exercising with all of his might. And here we have the picture of believers so committed to spiritual growth, they have stripped of everything that has hindered them. Every appendage, every habit, every bad relationship, pride, they have stripped of all of it. They've been willing to do whatever they have to do to really be exercised by the Bible. And if you will give yourself to truth, this verse says, you'll be able to discern good and evil. The word discern means to perceive, means to judge or to discern. Let me give you an example. Today, we're living in a time when people's moral values are changing. And sometimes I'll hear believers say, well, don't be judgmental. You know, you know maybe, maybe they're a different case. Maybe, 
Maybe that person who thinks that they're a woman even though they're a man, maybe in some cases it's okay. Or somebody who says, well, you know, maybe in some cases abortion is okay. Or, you know what, maybe people are, you know, homosexuals, they just can't help themselves. You know, maybe God has mercy. It's like they're making excuses and accommodating. You know why? Because they don't know the truth. They can't discern good and evil. But when you are really exercised by truth, you can very quickly see what's right and what's wrong. That's and exactly what this verse says. Discerning is not the same as being judgmental. It's not being judgmental. In fact, if you're discerning, you can actually help someone. If you're discerning, you'll actually be motivated by love to make a difference in someone's life. So it, it's not being judgmental. It's not the same thing. Well, the Bible teaches we're to judge without being judgmental. Yes. There's a difference. We're called to judge. It really means to discern, discern to perceive, to, know the difference. to determine. But you know, when you're really established in the Bible, I'll just use me as an example. It's very rare that you'll ever hear me say, I don't know what God thinks about that. Very rare. You know why? Because my base is so big. And when you have a really big doctrinal base and your mind's been renewed to truth, you, I mean, you immediately know the answers. You know the difference between good and evil. It's what's wrong right now. In politics in the United States, we have a bunch of people in politics who know nothing about what the Bible teaches. They're like blowing in the wind here and there, embracing nonsense that is just bizarre. You know what's wrong with those people? They don't know the Bible. They don't know the Bible. But when you know the Bible, it gives you a foundation so that you don't become lopsided the further you go. No, I... I'd like to point out that it says discerning between good and evil. And it's, it's making the assumption that everyone knows that there is good and evil. Now, I know that may like seem really, really basic, but unfortunately, not everyone agrees that there is actually good and there is actual evil. And, you know, if, if you don't agree with that, that there is good and evil and you must search out the good and you know the good, you can discern between good and evil. But even that today is under question. It's because people don't know truth. And if you don't know or if you don't agree that there is good and evil and there's a devil and there's a God and the devil wants to steal from you and God wants to give something to you, if you don't agree with this basic, basic, basic truth, then there's nothing to discern. There's, you can't discern between good and evil if you don't agree that there is good and evil. Denise, we only have a few seconds. Well, if, if we don't have a foundation then the wind blows this way. Oh, well, I'll go this way. And then the wind blows that way. Oh, oh, I think this. But if you have a foundation of truth, it holds you in place. So when society is blowing all over the place, you're just stable as can be. That's what a foundation does for you. But when we come back tomorrow night, we're going to begin studying the six foundational truths you need. They will be your anchor. If you don't know these, then you're not ready to advance. You got to go back to first grade you got to know these, so don't miss tomorrow night. We're going to begin with the first one in Hebrews 6, verse 1. Please write to us if you need prayer, prayer at renner.org, or call us 1-800-742-5593. This has been a great start. I can hardly wait for tomorrow night. And call a friend and tell them to join us. Love you. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed that teaching, please like, subscribe, and comment so more people can see it.